0: Hello everybody and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk iTunes, news and topics that interest us. My name is Julian Day and with me as always is my co-host Chitinda Kandola, but no Will this week, JK. Yeah, what a shame. I know, he's on holiday, how dare he, honestly, it's just... <laughs> Can't get the stuff. I know, indeed, so there's only two of us this week, which will be fine, you know, yeah. we can we can do it, the show must go on and all that, so yeah, all good. And I hope Will, if you're listening, you're having an amazing holiday, yeah, this will probably come out once you're back. <laughs> (laughs) But, you know, so fantastic. Let's uh, do the usual usual cadence for the show then. So first off, we'll start with the news, and I'll go first this week, since I know your story is a bit more related to our main topic, JK. So good old Elon Musk. Don't we all love a bit of Elon Musk? (laughs) So Elon Musk has... I know also, by the way, if you're listening to this, this is probably... Pretty old news, but I do think it's important that we cover it on the show. So Elon Musk has decided that he wants to withdraw from the deal to buy Twitter. (laughs) Hands up if you saw that coming. I won't be Mm -hmm. surprised if everybody puts their hand up. Characteristically erratic, shall we say. And essentially he has said that he has been asking for some critical data from Twitter for a while about how many accounts on their platform are fake, which strikes me as Quite a difficult thing to establish (laughs) since bots are quite good at hiding the fact that they're bots. But anyway, and he's using this as a justification to back out of the deal. And it's going to cause a big old bun fight in the courts and stuff like this. People are not happy. He could face up to a fine of a billion dollars apparently, which I guess for him is pocket change, but you know.
1: It's a strange expectation to have though for him from his perspective, because they had publicised they were trying to work that out, the answer to that question, but it was gonna take a long time because it's it's such a vast space for them to, to kind of analyse. So it's strange that he let that be the reason for pulling out of it.
0: It feels like he was looking for a reason a little bit, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. It feels like he realised he's, he's done a big thing and maybe mm. he doesn't want to do the big thing anymore.
1: Maybe just playing the shares markets and stuff. He's done a lot of this kind of making a hint that he's about to do something. Shares rock it up. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And, and as the like, opposite
0: as well. Yeah, and when he, I think Tesla recently sold their uh, stake in Bitcoin as well, yeah. which has obviously absolutely hammered. The you know, I, I wonder how much of this is a, is market making on his mm. part. Yeah, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Yeah, what a roller coaster story, hey? Keeps yeah. going. Mm. <laughs> Anywho, did you want to go next with your? Well, obviously, <laughs> did you want yeah. to go next? Will isn't here. Yeah, do you want to go next? To JK, with yours.
1: Cool. So my story this time round is about rocket debris that has been found in New South Wales in Australia from. Elon Musk's SpaceX mission.
0: It's Elon Musk again. <laughs> yeah,
1: dominating the headline. So you may have seen this already, but some farmers in Australia have found two, maybe three pieces of rocket debris in their field where they have their sheep paddocks. And the Australian Space Agency has recently confirmed that that debris is in fact from the SpaceX mission that was carried out. So I guess the story is that it's a very random expectation from the farmer's side of things, the fact that they found this debris uh, in their fields. Luckily, it didn't hurt anybody or cause too much damage. However, the response that SpaceX have put out is that they've set up a website. So if anybody finds any other debris, you can contact them at, recovery at spacex.com. Just to let them know, and they'll come and <laughs> so they can,
0: it. So they can come and get their commercial property back with a team of burly men, presumably, <laughs> to, much, to yeah. tell you to give their their secret source technology back to them. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. got to be a major. Worry for them, hasn't it? Actually, I suppose just like military who are flying aircraft and all sorts, they don't want the competitors to get hold of one of their rockets or something. Exactly. Did it say at all what the nature of the debris was? Is it just something's fallen off, or was it literally a whole rocket slammed into their field and grenaded itself all over the place type thing? Or
1: it's not something that I've seen in this news report. This is the one I'm reading the version from, from Sky News. So there's no okay. detail other than you can tell that these are objects that have match the composition of space equipment.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. No, it, I, was, really, so. I was just wondering if something yeah. had fallen off or something or whether yeah. or not a whole rocket's come down because you would expect them to be mm-hmm. a lot more worried about uh, one of those two scenarios, wouldn't you say? So.
1: so there is a picture, but it's very hard to tell what the hell it is from, ah, from my okay. uneducated eyes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just like a lump of metal that it looks like to me so that Mm. has scorching marks around it.
0: Interesting maybe it was something that uh, burned up on re-entry we're going to be talking about (laughs) potentially quite a lot of that today so so yeah what a perfect new story to lead us into our main topic couldn't couldn't have played that one any better (laughs) so um the main topic this week for those of you who uh, listened to the last episode will already know this but uh, for those of you who didn't uh, welcome aboard so we're talking about space for the next three episodes or sorry for the next for this episode the previous episode that we've already put out and the next episode in the series it's going to be a three-part series on space last time we had a chat through uses of space and technology in space and this week we are going to be talking through or this month we're going to be talking through the use of various techniques to try and reduce the pollution footprint and the environmental impact that humanity's desire to reach space is having and the environmental impacts of potentially putting technology in space Mm because after all we are a technology podcast And it's fair to say that there are a lot of interesting considerations in this space. So if you'll pardon the pun, Mm. excuse me, sorry about that. I'm a dad now. I'm allowed to make jokes (laughs) like that. TikTok channel. Yeah, no, don't even, don't even. That probably works with space actually, doesn't it Mm. as well? There's got to be some satellite content in there. So the things we're going to chat through briefly uh, in relation to this are essentially some of the bits and pieces, the use cases that we touched on last week, but more about their environmental impact. So Mm. space tourism, uh, we'll cover off satellites, weapons and defence, science and discovery and a lot of the implications and bits and pieces of our exploration of space and the environmental and ethical issues that that raises and also you know from a technology point of view what it means so diving straight in essentially with first of all what is the kind of impact that space travel actually has, mm. uh, particularly with space tourism being in the mix there as well? So uh, I found an interesting article actually by Alexandra Franklin-Chung, which explains that, and the way she puts it is, space launches can have a hefty carbon footprint due to the burning of solid rocket fuels. Many rockets, however, these days are propelled by liquid hydrogen, which produces clean water vapour, although it, it must be said that it does also cause some additional, mm. some additional products to be distributed into the atmosphere. Also, obviously, the production of that much hydrogen fuel creates a huge carbon footprint in and of itself. So you're not creating such a big carbon footprint when you launch the rocket, but you're definitely creating a big one to get it up there in the first place, because you've got to make all that liquid hydrogen. Obviously, other rocket engines that work by burning things like, and if you can believe this, Virgin Galactic's a little spaceship that they've made that launches from a plane, that burns rubber. Okay. So <laughs> it has like rubber and other chemicals, and it actually burns through a bit like a candle, basically. Yeah, like a, like a great big rubber slug
1: is there a reason why they chose i
0: have no idea i'm not a rocket scientist sadly but um, but yeah they do and obviously that creates a massive amount Mm -hmm. of soot so when that thing streaks off across the sky it's leaving a huge trail of rubber particulates and you know hydrocarbons and all sorts of things that come out the back of it and those are going to the atmosphere so the thing is at the moment rocket launches are relatively infrequent which means that their overall impact is much smaller than something like aviation Mm -hmm. but you can kind of see i guess as we've been seeing all these companies launching their space tourism craft and bits and pieces like that as people like uh, spacex make delivering for commercial aspects or astronauts you know space exploration so much more mundane you can get more and more launches in and so you are going to end up in a situation sooner rather than later where uh, the number of launches is exponentially increasing i guess and that's going to bring with it a very significant footprint because pound for pound, you know, when you you shove a rocket up into the sky, mm-hmm. especially if it's burning rubber or something like that, you are definitely going to end up with a uh, a higher carbon footprint than aviation because it produces more carbon and more particulates in the atmosphere than aviation does. But it's because it's less frequent. Mm-hmm. There are less flights. You're not actually outweighing what aviation does at the moment, so it's interesting, isn't it? And I
1: understand these organisations have some aggressive targets to really promote space tourism in the in the coming years. So the frequency of travel is just going to grow quite rapidly. Yeah, I, there,
0: there's some stats, aren't there? Around I feel like I'm picking on Virgin Galactic a bit here, but them saying something like they wanted to, you know, end up with was it multiple flights a day? I think, I think so. Pretty sure oh, yeah, they said. I think so. Mm. Yeah. So that's a lot of rubber. That's, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and a lot of soot mm. You know that you're putting into the atmosphere. So, yeah. And it's a
1: race, really, at the end of the day, between these three very rich people to outdo each other mm. and to provide this service before anybody else. Because I guess over time, uh, if you're able to say that you've been out there and you've done space tourism before your peers, because they're, they're similar types of personalities, that's the <laughs> what, the point at which it become it's still a special thing, isn't it? You know, we, before it becomes a easy to do thing for the masses.
0: What's that old quote that knocks around? Everybody who's the CEO of a business is a sociopath secretly, <laughs> or something. I can't remember where yeah. that came from, but it's a hmm. Trying no, to not, not that I'm suggesting they are necessarily. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean. It, There's definitely a lot of money in it, isn't there? It's it's sort of the next frontier, maybe the final frontier, I guess, uh, to to quote Bill Shatner, who's actually been to space on one of these flights. It's going to grow. There's there's no two ways about it. And also, the number of satellites we need to put up Mm. are is increasing hugely. Yeah, and, and and again, Elon Musk has a, a big hand in, in this with the Starlink program that he's doing of lots of small satellites to bring internet, broadband internet via a little deployable satellite dish that's man-portable yeah. to remote areas of the world. You know, So you need a, con- a huge constellation of satellites in low-Earth orbit in order to achieve that. And low-Earth orbit is getting mm. more and more and more crowded.
1: Similar to Starlink, I think Amazon and OneWeb are also trying to do similar things. That They're trying to add more satellites to improve internet connectivity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And with Brexit happening and the UK potentially getting cut off from European was it the Galileo program maybe yeah. the, the European GPS mm. thing there's a lot of talk I know of the UK building its own GPS network and you know yeah. so on and so on, or at least that was the the scuttlebutt at the time that the Brexit vote was going on anyway um, so one good thing I, I about know.
1: Starlink is that it's helped with the war in Ukraine so the Russians knocked out yes, yeah. the internet services that the Ukrainians had so Starlink has helped provide 15,000 sets of dishes and routers for Ukrainians yeah. to, to stay connected. So
0: Think, I think we mentioned yeah. that on the last episode as well, right. but um, the, no, 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 I'm, it's a it's a perfectly valid point. Yeah. And it's worth saying that for humanity to progress from a technology point of view, mm-hmm. which I guess is where our focus is, a lot of this is, and I'm doing air quote fingers here, necessary. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you can't actually provide a lot of the services that people are depending on all over the globe. So, you know, without the use and exploitation of space, yeah. arguably we can't push these technologies forward. I mean, imagine where we'd all be today if there was no GPS mm, network, exactly. for example. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> don't know about you, but mm. I, I haven't looked at an Atlas in years, <laughs> yeah. but I use Waze or Google Maps yeah, and things like all that the all the time. Yeah. And I'm not sure how I would actually survive without those things now. It's mm. ridiculous. As, I mean, I can read a map, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it's routine. Yeah, I mean, the internet of things expanding the way it has and then the use of GPS data being synced into that. I mean, I, I think everything from dating apps to mm. things that control your washing machine to the app that lets me turn the air conditioning on in my electric car they they all rely a hundred percent on gps right Correct. a lot of the time yeah. because they're i'm not, not actually sure about the dating app i'm sure there is one one out there that says i mean tinder must yeah, right because does, obviously yeah. it's you know you're set,
1: you're setting whoever's score. in the same area yeah.
0: as you so there must be a geofence not that i'm an
1: expert but yeah
0: <laughs> oh, well well really hmm <laughs> mm. wasn't it named after you <laughs> Partially, but yeah. So it is a uh, it's a fascinating one, isn't it? Mm, um, definitely.
1: I understand that uh, these devices are becoming cheaper to deploy out there as well. So out uh, in space, so yeah. the, 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 going back to that. This is going to become a standard, a common thing, and more scalable and achievable, uh, minute by minute, pretty much. It's just an inevitability, I think. Really,
0: absolutely. I mean, I think that there is something to be said for the way that. People like SpaceX or companies like SpaceX are enabling the delivery of payloads into space to be so much more easy and mundane. Mm. So when they did the deployment of Starlink, I believe they were sending up, you know, one rocket with 30, 40, whatever it was, satellites on it because they're small. You know, they're little tiddly satellites. They're not massive great nuclear reactor housing spy sats or something. And so because this CubeSat principle is being used more and more to sort of create these small satellites which form a massive interlinked const- constellation, a little bit like a mesh network in space, you can actually punt a whole bunch of them up into space in one go and then deploy them in one go. So there is something to be said for the, the efficiency of delivery in space getting better at the moment. And that's a good thing because obviously yeah. if, we, if we have to launch less times, there's less of an environmental impact in order to get that technology up there that we all want to depend on. So that's a very important point. In terms of science and discovery, obviously, we've seen the James Webb telescope go up recently, mm. which is an absolutely just phenomenal achievement. So congratulations to everybody who's involved in that. Just the images that are coming back off that, allowing us to see back through time yeah. uh, to the some of the earliest galaxies. And yeah, absolutely just phenomenal. So I think if anybody pops up and goes, well, why are we bothering with all this space nonsense? My yeah. answer would be, that's why. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that thing right there, that's why, you know? So there's definitely still a huge amount of value in putting stuff into space and technology into space. But I think that there are definitely some some ethical considerations, but there's there's also the potential for storing up a, up a problem. So I mentioned at the beginning that we were going to be talking about weapons and defense briefly, mm-hmm. and this brings us on to Kessler syndrome, which is a topic I think I mentioned last week. I think you gave us a definition, didn't you, last time, J.K.? Do you want to Uh, take us through what Kessler syndrome actually is?
1: So um, when doing a little search on Google for better words than what I put together, Kessler syndrome refers to the density of objects in the low Earth orbit grow so high that collisions between two objects could cause a massive cascade, wherein those collisions generate more space debris uh, which increases the likelihood of even more collisions.
0: Yeah. So it, it's like an exponential scenario where, yeah, as you say, stuff smashes into each other, it flies apart. Those bits then go on to smash into other things and they fly apart. Those bits go on to smash into other things mm. and they fly apart. And you suddenly get this cascade situation. If you want, incidentally, if you want a visual example of what that might look like, Gravity, yeah. Sandra Bullock movie from 2013, I want to say, George Clooney isn't super realistic necessarily but it is that is kessler syndrome in action Mm -hmm. basically where spoilers for a film that came out 10 years ago or whatever it is but there is a collision between two objects in space i think it's a weather satellite or spy satellite or something that Mm. smashes into something else and then that creates a big debris field and that ends up sweeping through a space uh, craft which has got some astronauts on it which are trying to repair the hubble space telescope and that just leads into a snowball effect where you've got this huge cloud of debris which is orbiting the earth every so often and every now and again it comes back to menace Sandra and George (laughs) basically and chaos ensues but it is it is definitely a scenario that is absolutely terrifying to people because if it was to happen, you know, it could potentially stop us even getting into space if it was bad enough. Yeah. Although, obviously, space is a big place. So there's a lot of places for things to end up. But
1: There's been some recent examples as well. I don't want to pick on Starlink and Elon Musk every time, but again some of their recent kind of escapades have led to some very near misses with the Chinese space station.
0: Really? That's fascinating. I didn't know that.
1: Basically, it's just it's generating even more conversation about questioning whether there is too much happening at once and whether these fragments of wreckage could cause more la- damage when flying at high speeds, simply because the amount of traffic that's increasing there as well. So.
0: Well, you know, you've got that old example that people love to quote of a flake of paint going at X miles an hour or mm. whatever is equivalent to a high velocity, you know, tank round or rifle bullet or whatever. You know, just a little flake of paint could literally punch straight through one side of a, an astronaut and out the other. Yeah, you know, if it exactly. if it hit them at that kind of speed, you know, which it doesn't bear thinking about. So it's um it is a worry you know for people uh, who are operating in space and all that kind of thing coupled with that is uh, obviously uh, military applications as well mm. there is a unfortunately you know when the military when military action is taken by nations obviously as we've seen from the the ukraine crisis here on earth. A lot of a lot of junk is created, a lot of rubble, a lot of debris is created when weapons of war are being employed, which sounds a bit glib, but you know, it's the it's the practical reality. And nations, particularly big well-developed nations like America and China are very much looking at ways that they can take each other's satellites out mm. because obviously if if you've got a big spy satellite sitting in a geostationary orbit right above your country, if you can blast it out of the sky with a missile or something, you're denying the enemy the capability that they're relying on to get intelligence on you. And and in 2007, China actually conducted an anti-satellite missile test. Do you remember this story at all?
1: No.
0: Yeah. So they had a weather satellite which was due to it was due to be retired anyway. Like it was already, or it was already dead. Basically, it was just sitting there as a, a hunk of mass in in space. And this thing weighed 750 kilos. So they thought they'd martyr it. They thought they'd paste it yeah. <laughs> all over the all over the heavens, yeah. so they uh-huh. shot it with a kinetic kill vehicle. Is the technical term basically a missile traveling at a speed of eighteen thousand miles per hour in the opposite direction to its orbit? So obviously, thing going in the you know potentially an explosive warhead on it. I don't know if it had explosives on board at that kind of speed. You probably don't need them. But they fired a yeah, missile at this thing that went in the opposite direction, and so the head to head collision was eighteen thousand miles an hour in one direction and then however fast the satellite was orbiting in the other direction and it was a big old bang that's crazy (laughs) obviously no one heard it because it was in space but you know so did this not
1: lead to new rules or any kind of international outcries and then becoming some kind of it led to a massive
0: international outcry yeah Yeah, huge international outcry because the this test was the largest creation of space debris in history because obviously it blew this nearly a ton of satellite into mm. a lot of pieces more than 2000 pieces of trackable size so golf ball size or larger officially were cataloged in the immediate aftermath and an estimated 150,000 particles mm. so little flakes of paint smaller things than a golf ball basically were created and as of october 2016 um, a total of uh, 3,438 pieces of the debris had been detected with 571 of them decaying. So that means their orbit mm. destabilizes and they plunge into Earth's atmosphere and burn up. And 2,867 still in orbit nine years after the incident. So That's some crazy. of those pieces are still up there, mm. probably in the order of 2,000 plus pieces of debris, are still whipping around the Earth as a result of that massive explosion, You know, that hugely kinetic event happening in space. Yeah, I mean... Just obliterated it.
1: Is there any kind of responsibility that they've taken to go up and clean it up or anything like that? Or is that just something? Oh, that's no,
0: no, no. I don't think so anyway. I mean, there is a lot of responsibility being taken by lots of people all over the world to try and clean this stuff up, but not by China oh, directly. Okay. That yeah. I was. I mean, I don't know, but yeah. I, it wasn't listed certainly when I did the research on that particular incident. Because I remember the news stories at the time. Obviously, China were not popular. There was international concern and outrage. Yeah. But it isn't illegal to blow up a satellite if you own it in yeah, space. It's, it's crazy. Not, not not illegal mm. to create space debris. So yeah, massive, you know, Kessler syndrome type incident, but not, thankfully, a huge cascade that wiped out the whole Earth.
1: So this must be causing issues for astronomers and people that obviously looking out and trying to kind of predict weather and things like that, or movement of planets and stars and stuff. Is that really impacting any of that by all of this additional activity happening up there well i
0: never even considered that as a possibility if i'm honest i'd never even thought about you know does this impact astronomers or whatever but actually when you do the research yeah it it really really does yeah because things like bits of paint or golf ball size objects or whatever streaking across the Mm. sky at tremendous speeds where you are pointing a telescope and taking a series of images means that they manifest as Mm. streaks across your view. And not only that, but but they, re- they reflect and create light as they're going around. So they're not luminescent unless they're burning up in the atmosphere, in which case they don't last very long, but they reflect light off the sun and, and other things. So you get these light streaks, which create an enormous amount of noise in the image. So you've got telescopes in parts of the world where the light pollution issue in space is, and, and also light pollution from the ground as well, is causing... The effectiveness of land-based telescopes to drop massively
1: yeah and surely that's not good adding to the artificial kind of light no
0: and and also it obviously it holds back scientific endeavor you know and these are not cheap pieces Mm. of technology to create in the first place so from a technical you know technological point of view and, and the advancement of human civilization it's not good you know and so the more junk gets created up in space and spins around the earth the more of this problem is going to keep happening so and the more dangerous it then becomes not only for the people that we send into space but also the equipment that we send into space you know the satellites and what have you we're relying on those services which we do every single one of us listening to this does Uh, you may be even listening to this via some sort of satellite connectivity or or whatever there could be a scenario where that's no longer possible so yeah yeah you know, it's, it's a major problem, space mm. junk. But thankfully, there are people out there who are doing stuff about it. Did you uncover any particularly interesting examples that you wanted to highlight? Because I know we were both looking at this prior to the uh, to the session. I'll go first if you want, What's while you're having a think.
1: You go first, um, yeah. So the
0: first one I found was basically using a an electrically charged piece of tape as long as two miles or three kilometers which could knock satellites down as it passes through the Earth's magnetic field and produces voltage. So basically, if you can create that electrostatic charge, effectively, uh, in mm. the or, or electric charge in that layer of the atmosphere or outside the atmosphere and then connect it with the space debris, you can cause it to deorbit. And obviously what you want really is for these bits of stuff to come plunging down into Earth because then they'll burn up in the atmosphere on the way down and won't be a problem for anybody although obviously that does produce some emissions but it's it's considered to be the, the the best way so very often you know old satellites and things that are no longer needed they will be deorbited so they'll keep a little bit of fuel over because that mm-hmm. most of these things have gyroscopes and maneuvering thrusters that allow them to reorient themselves in space and they'll either spin the gyroscopes really really fast to make the thing go f- wobbling off in the wrong direction or they'll fire the maneuvering jets or whatever and that will cause it to come plunging down into the earth's atmosphere after it's gone around a few times and its oh. orbit's got worse and worse and then it'll burn up so a lot of these technologies are things like an electrodynamic tether i found as well which would slow down the speed of a satellite or space debris by attaching to it obviously if you slow something down the gravity is then going to have more of a chance to get hold of it it'll cause the orbit to decay and again you're back into the burning up in the atmosphere scenario
1: and that will probably add even more
0: yep and particulates and bits of debris but it's probably better than it smashing up yeah a load of satellites up in space and taking out half the world's gps system or something yeah there's a bunch basically there's things like using very small satellites with solar sails to sort of latch onto a an old satellite or something and then use the the power of the sun to drive yeah. it into a low earth orbit and then both would be burnt up there's vehicles which are being proposed for launching from aeroplanes from high altitudes and then flying up into space grabbing hold of space junk and literally and, clean yeah up. literally yeah, yeah. and there, there are people talking about using harpoons cables tentacles mm. even you know robotic to go oh. and literally grab something and then heave it you know towards the earth basically so pretty much lob mm. it <laughs> or even drag it and then both of you burn up with a cheap satellite with a harpoon on it or something or cheap you know vehicle that can then fire yeah. its own
1: it must still cost quite a bit I yeah guess. but i mean but,
0: uh, again yeah. it's it, it's how much you want to spend to mitigate the risk of kessler syndrome i suppose and mm. and yeah. get rid of your your junk you know so that it isn't causing problems up there yeah those are basically the the major bits that that I thought were relevant to this topic. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there is an ethical question here. I guess the, the concluding remark would be, well, do we just give up then, you know, with space because we're just making a mess of it? And I think my thoughts on that were no, you know, that's not a good idea because nah, yeah. we need to push human endeavour forward. Definitely. We need to be enabling the technologies of the future and all of that. But we have to have one eye on this, right? There has to be a, ethically at least, you know, we have to try and safeguard space uh, and the space around our planet for future generations and to make sure we don't end up all just taking each other's stuff out you know
1: exactly there's a responsibility with any type of activity when it comes to innovation uh, in terms of being as ethical as you can be and being aware of the impact to the environment and climate. So I think that realistically that these things, uh, they're important, but everybody needs to invest equally in making sure that it's not damaging long term when setting up these types of projects. So definitely you should carry on. And it's an important part of being able to advance from a science and discovery perspective. And it sounds as if there's an, a number of things out there that can definitely help in terms of being responsible and not just shooting old satellites out, waiting for lots of debris to fall back on Earth or just carry on orbiting.
0: Yeah, because there are a bunch of dead satellites which are in stable orbits so and no one can do anything about them at the moment. Mm. You know, they're just up there waiting to smash into something one day if they're not tracked and it takes a lot of effort to track them. I think there is a cost, obviously, as well. And I guess it goes back to one of our favourite things, things—you know, uh, lithium batteries and electric car batteries and all those kinds of things and being able to recycle them and it not being cost-effective. Mm. I think once you see... There being a profit in clearing up space junk and if governments could yeah. incentivize people to clear up space yeah. junk and, and make sure that there is a there is, that it makes economic sense to do it we will see people starting to do it so there's probably a bit of legislation and support from governments that could be applied as well to try and make it to yeah. make it happen but ultimately i don't think we have a choice but to use space to push technology forwards mm. and for us to, you know, for even us to do our jobs. I mean, maybe one day I'll be designing on, I'm sure one day, in fact, I'll be designing systems for data centers that are in the cl- uh, the cloud, but literally above the clouds. You know, as we mentioned last time, you know, the data centers in space will be the next thing, won't they? All this kind of stuff. It, it, it's there and it's going to happen, but there has to be one eye on the ethics, I think.
1: And some um, international rules so that, that it would be good to, to have some kind of fair and agreeable way in doing this so that it's not just... For the richer nations to go off and kind of dominate and leaving the underdeveloped countries with underdeveloped kind of space, and technology and travel uh, to, to kind of catch up with them. So having some kind of agreement in place would definitely help yeah. make it a fair
0: Absolutely. Cool. Happy to leave it there. Any other closing remarks or thoughts that you wanted to add? No, I think uh, you've summed it up quite well. So nice one. Well, I'm sure Will would have some stuff to say if he was here, but uh, he's not, no, so yeah. we'll crack on. Cool. So final section of the show is recommendations. So did you want to go first or do you want me to go first?
1: Um, I'm happy to go first. Sure so I would like to recommend Amazon's Alexa plugs.
0: Oh, uh, I've got a few of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reasonable. I know what you mean.
1: Yeah. I find them really, really useful simply because I've not invested in having lighting systems or the kind of Google Home or anything like that to kind of put all of my utensils onto like a single network. However, this is a quick and easy way to be able to control uh, certain things around the house. So putting some lighting on whilst I'm on holiday and being able to control it from the app is quite a efficient way of doing it on the cheap
0: yeah excellent okay that's that's actually a really good recommendation i'd I'd back that up as well
1: yeah. and the app's quite good and easy to use yeah as well, so uh, yeah, yeah i
0: found that too good user experience i do have internet of things light bulbs in most of my lights uh so i can mm-hmm. control them all you know independently of alexa but they all hook into it what i have found is that for some for some lamps particularly some of the really arty lamps that my my wife likes to get with these big trendy filament bulbs that have got the you know all the sort of orange or amber uh, led kind of bars in them that are very popular in night in nightclubs and restaurants and things like that at the moment so we've got a few of those in our house and they're they're really cool to look at you know really great but you absolutely cannot get an internet of things light bulb that goes in those because yeah. they're not made you mm-hmm. know or at least they weren't at the time that we got these lights so then these plugs are great because you can put one on the end of any light and as you know all it's doing is flicking the electricity on and off so you don't need to worry about yeah. it so yeah they're really cool i really like them a lot definitely a good product
1: and if you're catching them on the Amazon sales, ah, yeah, 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 that's true them. as well. Yeah, good, day. good
0: call. Yeah, they they do seem to put things like that on sale relatively often, don't they? So Amazon has us now. So my recommendation this week is Wired Guides. So Wired is a publication over here in I think it's based in the UK, and it's a sort of uh, tech publication, I believe. I mean, I don't really read it very no. much, but it has a lot of interesting stuff on it i learned to solve a rubik's cube a while ago and it was actually a video that they put up on youtube that i used of all things to learn how to do it it's quite complicated mm. by the way but if you're a nerd like me it's quite fun they actually published a series of these little books called wired guides which are basically like a they're a summary they're almost like the cliff notes if you're uh, of an american persuasion for a particular topic and this one that i'm reading at the moment is all about um genome sequencing and genomics So it's a short, easy to read book, very well written, which just explains all the core concepts in quite a simple way. And they're really nicely set out. They're quite cheap. You know, they're not um, full of all sorts of glossy images and they're not big hardcover coffee table books or anything like that. They're like a sort of crib sheet for... A very complicated topic and they they publish them on a number of different ones so cool. i particularly re- is
1: it subscription based? no no, no not at to, all no they're yeah.
0: just a book that you can oh, buy okay. so you can buy like a kindle edition oh, okay. so if you're interested in the wired guide for x thing hmm. you know you just go and Buy it, you know. They're about six, seven quid, I think. But, yeah, it's given me a really interesting intro to genomics and genome sequencing and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Just easy to read, easy to flick through, even quite a nice size, you know, so you can tuck them in a bag yeah. or satchel or whatever. They're not a huge, great A4-size book, you know. So, um, nice. highly recommended. Yeah, I was quite surprised. I, I took a bit of a punt on it when I ordered it and thought, I'm yeah. well, not sure if this is going to be what I want, you know. Uh, but, yeah, great. Really, really good. Cool. So, Sounds I good. think... JK, that's the show. Unless you had anything else that you wanted to add? No,
1: happy. Thank good, you. good.
0: So we are available if you want to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. We're on ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That is ddkpod at ddklimited.com with limited spelled out in full. We're also available on Twitter at DDK Limited and we are available on LinkedIn, excuse me, as Dalton Day Candola. So it just remains for me to say a big thank you to Jatinda for being here with me today. Big thanks, I guess, to Will. He's not here, but you know, he contributes to most of these shows and he did some of the research behind this. Thanks to him as well. And thanks to Charlie for doing the editing as usual. And we will catch you all in another month. Thanks very much. Cheers.
1: Thank you. Cheers.